Last week we talked about worship and celebration right here as one of the spiritual disciplines. Today we're going to add to that as we're learning to grow because we're in the middle of a series hopefully called, there it is, it works, good. Every now and then we have some technical difficulties, but we've got such a great staff back there that they can handle it. Leaving Neverland. Now why is it called Leaving Neverland? It's because of this wonderful young man right here that we all know as Peter Pan. Yeah. This is a great guy who... um, was known for one thing, he would not grow up. He just wouldn't grow up. He wanted to stay a boy forever. He had a group with him called, let's see if we go, there it is. What are they called? The Lost Boys. None of them had moms. They all just stayed right there on that island and they lived and they stayed little boys forever and it makes a great story and has made Walt Disney millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. But the problem is, we got a lot of lost boys in the kingdom of God and women. Well, we'll just call, let's just lost, how, how, how shall we call them if we don't want to call them lost boys? Lost people? Yeah, all right, if you want to. That's fine with me. I don't mind that. In other words, not that you say, how can you be lost in the kingdom? I thought you were found once you're in the kingdom. Well, yeah, we're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about these guys right here who would not grow up. And we have a lot of people within the kingdom who have come into the kingdom, and it's wonderful that they're there. Their eternity is set. There's no problem with that. But they stay kind of um, infantile or maybe even childlike. They never really grow up to be what God is calling them to be. So we want to call them just like these, the lost boys, the lost people, whatever you are, of the kingdom. Not that you're lost to God. It's just you haven't learned. As a matter of fact, it's such an important thing. and And it's been going on for so long that Paul wrote this in the Bible. This is what the Bible says about growing up. Here. No prolonged infancies among us, please, will not tolerate babes in the wood, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Let's move on to the next one. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy and God robust and love. Let's stop just for a moment and think about why he would write this. Do you know how um, precious writing materials were back when this was written? You just didn't go down to the stationery store and buy some, some papyrus or some clay tablets, which meant that whatever you wrote had to be pretty important because it costs a lot to write it. If growing up in Jesus Christ is such an easy thing to do, and if it's so natural, why would he even take the time to write this? He wrote this because we have a tendency to come into the kingdom of God and to rejoice because we're saved and we know the Lord, and stop right there. That's our human tendency. That's why the scripture says, look, I need you to move on. If it was so easy and natural, it wouldn't be written like this. Remember this when you read the Word of God. There's a reason it's written down. It's not just because he had a little space to fill. This is not easy to do, and it is not natural to do. And so he says, let's go ahead and do it. So let's summarize what we've learned so far. You haven't seen this one before, but we're getting into your sermon notes right now. We grow up, this kind of summarizes the last, what, three or four weeks, however we've been doing this. By the way, the, uh, the other sermons are online if you want to go to our podcast, except for last Sunday. Hopefully that'll, that'll be up this next week. But all the other th- three sermons that we started with are already online in the podcast. 
if you want to listen to them. We grow up as we consistently meet with Jesus for the purpose of soul work, okay? Growing up in Jesus Christ doesn't happen simply because you breathe oxygen and are a carbon-based life form. That's not the point. We grow up in Jesus as we consistently meet with Jesus for the purpose of soul work. If you are not intentionally trying to grow up and have your soul transform the image of Jesus, you will stay right where you are, guaranteed. If you are trying to learn the Spanish language and never take a class in the Spanish language or surround yourself with people who speak Spanish, you will probably remain right where you are in your ability to speak Spanish. This has to be intentional. Do we want to grow up in Jesus? Are we interested in what we call soul work? See, it's our relationship with people and the people around us that turn us into the adults. Whereas we grow up with our parents and the people around us, they help us grow up into the type of people we are. But it's our relationship to other Christians, but most importantly, it is our relationship with the Lord God, with the risen Lord Jesus that grows us up. It's not about the information that we read. It's not about the things that we know. It's about hanging out and spending time purposely with Jesus Christ. He is the one who transforms us. That relationship with him purposefully built is the thing that grows us up. And we have a special name for those intentional ways that we meet with Jesus Christ for the purpose of soul work. And we call them spiritual disciplines. These are the, uh, the classic ways that we grow up in Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about some of the classic ways we've already started last week. We'll continue today. This is what we need to remember for a spiritual discipline to have its work. It needs to be intentional, purposeful, often. In other words, we have to intend to meet with Jesus. We have to do it for the purpose of growing up in him, and we've got to do it on a consistent basis. Once or twice a year, I'm going to do it. So that's what we're talking about. How do you grow up in Jesus? We already know we need to grow up in Jesus. We know it's not normal and natural. We know that the church has been struggling with this since the very beginning. How do you do it? You do it by meeting with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ purposefully, intentionally, and often in this, what we call spiritual disciplines. We've already, here's the classic spiritual disciplines, by the way. There's worship and celebration, Bible reading and memorization, prayer and meditation, community and accountability, and service and sharing. Now, there are so many others but these are the classic ones. These are the ones that, that we really, all of us need to be using to be able to grow up in him. And we've already talked about worship and celebration. Today we're going to talk about this next one right there. Bible reading and memorization. <clears throat> all right, we're going to celebrate the Bible today. How about that? The Bible is the most important book in history. And I'll tell you why in a moment. I want to show you something, by the way, because uh, I keep these in my office right here. This is uh, my first Bible. Um, I became a Christian in February 1971 when I was a, uh, a junior in high school. And I, was re I keep this in my, my shelf right here. This one was uh, given to me by a girl named Linda Leela Dodge for my uh, uh, 17th birthday, April 12, 1971. Linda Leela Dodge is now Linda Lee Bailey, by the way. We have been uh, dating since 1970 and been married 40 years this next summer two months old as a Christian, and, and this was my Bible. This is the one that I, I began to, to read and to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. I keep this in my little memory box in my office. This one um, is a, the Bible that I used when I first 
um, went to college because then they, they moved over to the New American Standard Version. And so you can see it's kind of seen better days here as I uh, studied and studied and learned and I wrote notes all in it. And just I, as I'm going back over these notes, I'm going, wow, yeah, that's good stuff. I should preach that more often. This is the one that the church gave me at Deer Flat about 20 years ago when I, uh, 25 years ago, when I left Deer Flat as an associate pastor to become a senior pastor for the first time. And the church got together and they bought me this Bible and so it's inscribed right there. And I've got lots of others in my, uh, in my shelf. Uh, actually now, by the way, this is the Bible that I tend to use. It's right here. I have the Bible on um, my phone. I've got what, 30 or 40 different versions on here that I can search. I have it on my computer. I have it on my iPad. I've got Bibles everywhere. Any place there's an electronic device for me. So sometimes, by the way, if you see me in the front of the church, maybe when worship is going on and I've got my phone on, I'm really not playing solitaire. Trust me. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm looking for a verse that's, that's, that's important to me. We've got Bibles. How many of you have more than one Bible? Yeah. How many of you don't even know where all your Bibles are? Yeah, okay, it's all right to admit that. Sure. Man, this is, this is an incredible book that has shaped so many lives. Even though I don't tend to read the paper version any longer, I usually use this paper one if uh, uh, I'm doing a, ba- a baby dedication. It just seems too weird to pull this out and to read over that. So it's the same word, so don't worry about that. It's just, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll feel comfortable with it. I do know pastors, by the way, that just use iPads, and they bring their iPad. And I, I do use that from time to time in services, like worship, I mean, funerals and weddings, that sort of thing. But for some reason, I still go to the, the written book when it's things like baby dedications and that sort of thing. Even though, guys, it is the same word, okay? The Word of God is not different because it's in print or in zeros and ones on your computer. The Word of God is the Word of God. It's not dependent on the medium it's printed. It's dependent on the one who spoke it, okay? So keep that in mind. There you go. All right, give you some statistics about the Bible. Ready? Here we go. Let's see. Um, First of all, it it is the bestseller of all times, and I mean without a doubt. You know how they always print the the bestseller list every year, the New York Times bestseller? They always take one book off. What is that? The Bible. Because if they didn't do that, the Bible would be number one every single year, not even close. Let me show you this. Hunger Games. Do you remember? I've never read the book, but I guess it was an important book, some big book a couple years ago. They made movies out of it. It did 23 million copies. The Da Vinci Code did 80 million. The Lord of the Rings, 150 million copies of that book. The Bible, 6 billion copies. You know how many we do every year? 100 million every single year. This book is the bestseller of all time, by far. Amazing. And the Bible itself can tell you why, by the way. Take a look at this. There's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's... Let's stop right there, because you've got to read that with me. Ready? There's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. That's incredible. And then it goes on to say this. 
Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. If you're not into the word, you can't be shaped up for the way you can't grow up. The word of God grows us up. We don't effectively use many of the gifts that our Father has given to us. A lot of people reject the gift of Jesus Christ. They don't even use him. They don't even rely on him. Most people in this room, I think, have already received that gift. Then some of us don't really receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to be led by the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about that more later on in this year as we do a whole sermon series just on the Holy Spirit. But a lot of us don't use the gift of the Bible. It's an incredible gift from God. It's a gift that, that we, in this particular culture and in this particular time, have an abundance that most of our brothers and sisters in the world would love to have. Most of the Christians in the world do not live here in the United States. As a matter of fact, at the moment, the average Christian person is a black woman living in Africa. White Christians are such a minority in the kingdom. Stack up all the Christians around the world, and we'd be a little bitty, teeny, tiny part. Because the average Christian today is a black woman living in Africa. They don't have any money. They're lucky to have a piece or two of the Bible. They don't go down to their local bookstore and buy a whole Bible. Up until the printing press, Bibles were written by hand. Nobody had a copy. They're so expensive. We've got them everywhere. But we don't read it. We don't study it. We don't know it. So here, we're going to go through this today. I'm going to tell you why. Here's why I read the Bible. Ready? I read the Bible for this first reason, because it is God's written message to me. This book is unlike any other book on the planet. It faithfully records what the creator God of all the universe wants to say to me. Now think about that. The creator God of all the universe had something to say to you. And he caused it to be written down and said, here. Wouldn't you read it? Wouldn't you want to know it? This isn't something that somebody got to, and some publisher came and said, you know, it would be really good if we kind of wrote about God a little bit. Let's publish that, see if we can make a little money. The creator God of all the universe had something to say to you and me, and he had it written down and said, here it is. You got to read it. You got to read it. This is what the word, this is what the Bible says. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. People didn't sit down and say, let me write something about God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, that's prophets. That's, that's the fortune. No, 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 no. Prophecy is not foretelling the future. Prophecy is speaking to people on behalf of God. A prophet isn't one who foretold the future. A prophet was one who preached. I am right now doing the work of a prophet. I don't have the gift of prophecy. There are some individuals, Billy Graham and others, who have that gift. And when they speak, there's just an incredible thing that happens. I'm a preacher like most other preachers. I have to do the work of a prophet, which means I speak to you on behalf of God. But I don't have the gift of prophecy. 
but I am doing the work of a prophet now. It is simply talking about God and proclaiming him to a group of people. I can foretell the future if you want, by the way. I can do that. If you do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not spend eternity with him. There you go. Okay, I just told your future. Now you get a choice. Take a look at all the prophecies in scriptures. You'll find they're very, very similar. Okay? We have from us a written message from God he moved prophets to speak and to write. They didn't think of it on their own. God is behind every line. Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to read that? This isn't just something that Moses decided to write. God, working within him, said, write this down. Huh. How about this? Another reason I read it, it reveals everything I need to know about him. Now, I want to stop right there. It doesn't say that, I'm not saying that it, reads, that it reveals everything there is to know about him. That can't be done. Even the work of Jesus Christ, if you ever look at one of the last verses in the book of John, it will say many other things that Jesus did, and I suppose if they were all written down, the whole world could not contain the volumes. Imagine if we tried to write everything there is to know about God. The Bible isn't there to tell you that. By the way, the Bible isn't even there to tell you everything you want to know about God. Lots of questions. If you don't have lots of questions about God, you're not thinking hard. I have so many questions about God. It's going to be amazing when I get up there. My guess is I'll probably just already know them when I get up there, but if not, we're going to have some long conversations because I've got so many questions. But you know what? I don't need to know those because what I know is the Bible tells me everything that I need to know. Jesus said this. <clears throat> he was talking to a, a group of Jews. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You think that knowing the Bible gives you eternal life? He said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. You want to know what I'm like? Read the Bible. You want to know what Jesus is like? Read the Bible. You want to know what's important to God? Read the Bible. You know how he works in the world? Read the Bible. It's all there. We don't need any special revelation now from some pastor who says, oh, well, now God has revealed to me this new way that he's working. Nonsense. If I needed to know it, where would it be? In the Bible. I've had people come to me and say, oh, I've had this special revelation, and, and, and this is how God works, and this is how the spiritual world is all, is all laid out, and here's where the demons are, and all this. And I go, I I could be true, but you know what? I don't care. I mean, I just flat don't care. Because I don't need to know that. Even if it's true, I don't need to know it. And you know how I know I don't need to know it? Because if I needed to know, where would it be? Not my next door neighbor who's knocking on my door saying, new stuff. No. It's there. And if it's not there, I don't need to know it. But another reason I read it is it also does this. It reveals what I need to know about living with him. How do you walk with God? You look to the word. It tells you. It tells you. This simple one, you've, you've seen it before. You've done it. As a matter of fact, in sailing time, we're going to listen to it. Here it is. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How do I live in the world? The Bible. It will help me know all of that. 
And there's another reason, by the way. It's not even listening, so I'm going to have you do this right now. In the margins, here's the fourth reason that you're going to read the Bible right here. Look clearly at this. Because the Bible is alive. Write that down. This is important. Put it down in your, in your margin somewhere. The Bible is not a dead book. It's not like reading any other book. It is alive. Now, you say, I mean it's alive. I'm not saying you know, kind of figuratively it's got life. I mean it is alive. This is what the Bible says right here about itself. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give. Now maybe, maybe we just found out why some of us don't like to read the Bible. You can't hide who you are when you read the Word of God. This book is alive. Our Father is speaking to us even as we read it. The author of this book... The inspirer of this book is right on your shoulder talking to you as you read it, giving you understanding, pointing out the things you need to know, including our shortcomings. And sometimes you read the Word of God and you say, woe is me, I am undone. Maybe that's why the book isn't read as much as it needs to be. All right, here we go. Wait a minute. How do we know the Bible's true? Now, now, maybe we better stop for a second and cover something. See, I'm just assuming it's true, right? And yours is assuming it's true. How do you know that? How do you know that it's true? And you say, well, the Bible says it's true. Well, that doesn't work. You can't use the Bible to prove that the Bible is true. It's a circular argument. Some of us don't even know why we believe this stuff. Now, I don't have any proofs for you. I can't give you proofs. But there is so much evidence. Do you understand that there's an evidence and proof? I hope you do, because we're going to be talking, or if you don't, we're going to be talking about that more in the years to come. I'm even thinking next year's Learning for Life classes, and this will be a newsflash to some of those who help teach, will have a strong, what we call apologetics flavor to it. We want to teach you the evidence for why Christianity is what we believe it to be, why God is God, Jesus is Jesus, and the Word of God is the Word of God. There's no proof, but evidence. My Word! Incredible. I'm going to give you just two quick... Two really quick evidences for the reality and the truth of Scripture. If I gave them all to you, you should have brought a sleeping bag. We'd be here for a day or two. I'm just going to give you two really, really quick ones. Ready? First of all, the Bible is historically accurate. It is historically accurate. Write that down. In the weeks to come and the months to come, we're going to teach you exactly why, but today I'm just going to do two things, horses and Hittites, okay? Horses and Hittites. What do I mean by horses and Hittites? Well, the Bible says that um, Solomon had a stable of lots and lots of horses, and it also talks about a group of people called the Hittites. Up until recently, the experts out there, the archaeologists and some of the historians, said couldn't possibly be because Solomon couldn't have horses. They rode camels back then. And there was no other mention anywhere else of a group called the Hittites except the Word of God. They just thought it was all made up. And then archaeologists started doing their work, and they started doing a little... uh, 
digging at Megiddo and discovered a town all about Solomon that had hundreds of what? Stables for horses. How about that? They did a little more digging in the Holy Land and they found this other town in the little papyrus and some writing that talked all about a group that nobody ever heard of except in the Bible and they were called what? Hittites. How about that? Guys, we just scratched the surface. We could go all day. But let's talk about this. It's also this, not just historically accurate, it's scientifically accurate. This may blow you right out of the water when you see these guys. God's science is true. Now, that's not true of man's science. Not at all. As a matter of fact, uh, scientific facts change all the time. I was actually a chemistry major when I first went to, um, to college, believe it or not. And um, I could take my chemistry textbooks. This was, of course, you know, 1972. And what would we do with them today? We'd use them for paperweights or throw them out. They're useless. Everything I was taught in 1972 about chemistry has changed. They never even heard of a cork back then. That was just in my lifetime. Did you know that in the Louvre, there's an entire section of outdated science books? And if you took all those science books and all the shelves and you put them end to end, it would go three and a half miles. Science changes all the time. God's science doesn't, because he's the one who created it. Now, I'm not anti-science. I love science. I just know that what we think today is true scientifically, probably in a year or two or 10 years or 20 years or 100 years, we'll go, oh, how about that? We got that wrong. Are you ready? How about this one? Let me just show it to you. Let me just show you. Okay. Up until about 400 years ago, everybody thought that the world was flat. Remember? 1492, Columbus sailed. Okay. Right up to that point, everybody thought it was flat. You know, never in Scripture does it say that the world is flat. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. Take a look at this, Isaiah. God sits high above the what? Round ball of the earth. How did he know that? 2,500 years ago, Isaiah knew the earth wasn't flat. It was a round ball. For thousands of years, the men of science told us that the earth has to sit on something. And all of the religions, if you were in Greece, the earth sat on the shoulders of a man called Atlas. Okay, you still, okay, great. If you were Hindu, the Hindus believed that, that the earth sat upon great elephants who were standing on a sea turtle who was standing on a serpent that swam through the cosmos. And that's why we had earthquakes, is because elephants would move. If you were an Egyptian, and this is important because Moses was raised as a what? An Egyptian. Moses would, went to the best schools. He was thought to be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He went to the best schools. And back then, the Egyptians taught that the earth stood on five pillars. And yet, when Moses writes in the Old Testament, not once does he tell us that the earth stands on four or five pillars. Because somebody told him differently. As a matter of fact, take a look at this. From the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, this is what it says. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. And he suspends the earth over. How did he know that? Thousands and thousands of years ago. Huh. You ready for another one? We could like this a long time, I know. We will. But believe me, we're doing classes. We'll do this. In each of those classes, we'll give you so much stuff, you go, whoa. 
And the next time somebody says, well, how do you know the Bible is true? You're going to fill them with so much information, they're going to turn around and run. <laughs> but not today. I don't have the time. For the longest time, we believed that people got sick because they had too much blood. And once they got sick, what did we do? We bled them. As a matter of fact, George Washington, if you've known the study, you go to Mount Vernon, I've had the privilege of being there and studied his life. He got sick, and they brought him in, and his doctor said, well, he has too much blood, let's take some out. And then a couple days later, they said, we better take some more out. Then they said, the more out, and what happened? He died. They killed him, basically. Because for the longest time, medical science just said there's, you know, too much blood. Blood is a problem. Now, of course, we've changed our mind. Now we actually give blood to some sick people, don't we? This is what the Bible says. Long, long, long ago, in the book of Leviticus, God said, the life of the creature is where? In the blood. How did Moses know that? This book isn't like any other book. We have to move on for now, but I could well, I'd have a lot of fun, and we will in our classes that are coming up. It's going to be fun. So George and, and Matt and others that teach those classes, it's time to start really boning up on apologetics because next fall, we're really going to hit it hard. All right, here we go. We have to move on. Let's focus on this for right now. <clears throat> I read the Bible. I've already said why we're going to do that, but now let me tell you what we're really looking for. First of all, we read the Bible for information. Okay? The Bible is a great book of information, and you get that information by asking this first question, which is, what does it say? I mean, this book was written to a specific people at a specific time, usually for a specific problem, and you have to kind of work a little bit to say, okay, what is it saying to those people? It's saying something to that group of people. What is going on here? Now, I want you to understand that... Um, Sometimes you're going to have to work at that, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. We'll help you do that. But this is the first question we ask. To those people to whom it was written, it's saying something. What is that? But then there's also this. Next question for information. What is God saying? Okay? Saying means present. Is there a message for the 21st century? There was a message for the first century, or the B.C., if you're looking in the Old Testament. But now, does it apply at all? I mean, is there anything that we need to know about today? If God was going to write this same thing today, what would it sound like? That's kind of a fun thing to do, by the way. Because some of the issues in the, Old, in the New Testament we don't really face any longer, like do we eat meat sacrificed to idols and some things like that. But if he was going to write it today, what would he use? And what would he say? Once you get this part, then you've got the information down. You, you, you know that, that, that the Bible is saying something to that first century, and it's saying something to our century, but if that's all you've got, that's all you've got is information, you're not going to be changed at all. Information will not form you. It will not transform you. It will not grow you up. I had the privilege a few years ago of listening to a professor of New Testament from one of the Ivy League schools. She was phenomenal. What she knew about the New Testament puts me to shame. I had to study Greek when I was in the, you know, to, to become a pastor, all that. She, she, her Bible was Greek. She didn't use English Bibles. She used Greek Bibles. I can't even do that. I turn on other people's translations. She knew every line. It was amazing. She's not a believer. In fact, she's Jewish. 
and she's a non-practicing Jew. But she knows the information. Now, is she going to grow up in Jesus? Of course not. She doesn't even follow Jesus. But man, does she know her stuff. I hope you're not there. See, I, I hope you haven't bought into maybe what perhaps the church 20, 30 years ago really might have said was, all you really need to know is this information, and, and if you can pass a test on the New Testament, then man, you're a disciple. You did it, because you know how many books there are and what Jesus said, and you got it. And that was wrong, because that's just information. Because I'm not really just trying to read for information, I'm trying to read for this. I'm trying to read for transformation. We're talking about growing up in Jesus, not because you know more. I guarantee that most of us in this room could sit down with some of our brothers and sisters in China and Africa and India, and we could blow them out of the water with how much we know about Jesus and the Bible, and we could not even come close to matching what they're doing for the kingdom. They're planting churches by the thousands. We rejoice here because we plant a few churches across the country every year. They plant thousands every month as people come to know the Lord, and yet they could not pass the simplest test that most of us could. We've got information. They're being transformed. We, this is really where we want to be. We want to grow up to be like Jesus, and, and it isn't just knowing it. We are transformed by doing a couple things. Ready? How about this? Praying for this. What do you want me to do about it? Now, see, here, we, here we've made it personal. Here's that intentional part about, about meeting with Jesus Christ. Up before, we're just learning, you know, what it says, it's information. And then we turn to God and say, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Now you're building that relationship. Before, you're building your knowledge base. Good. Build it. Now, Jesus, what do you want me to do about it? Because the Bible isn't just about information. This is what Jesus said about changing your own life with the word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's not, here's these words of mine, and then Knebel is able to recite them right back to me. Puts them into practice. Is like a man, wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew against and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It isn't how much you know, it's what you do with it. Lord, what do you want me to do with what I just read? Some of us are buzzing through the Bible so quickly, we never stop to ask that question. You're going to have so much information and you won't be transformed at all. And then this, memorization. You see, I have the Bible with me all the time as long as I have my phone. But if I don't have my phone, guess what? I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses with me all the time. This may be kind of a problem for some of us because since we can look things up so quickly, we don't memorize them any longer. I know I use this to remember your names, particularly new people. Today I've already met two or three new people, and guess what? I wrote their name right here, and I'm going to go over and over and over it. But I don't want to just pull out this and say, oh, I remember you. I want to know your name. I want to memorize who you are. Well, if that's important in knowing people, don't you think it's important in knowing the Word of God? Memorizing the Word of God. How about this? 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek it with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your command. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord, and teach me your decrees. Let every detail of your lives, according to Colossians, word, action, whatever, be done in the name of the Master. Okay, we're going to stop right there. We're going to take a look at it in just a moment, so keep it right there. Because what we just talked about was the fact that we want to hide God's Word in our heart. Memorize it. Now, I'll tell you what this does a little bit more for us. You may not have to uh, memorize the verse word for word any longer. You might be able to just get this gist of it. And you maybe don't have to memorize the uh, address like we used to have to do, because I can look up anything here quicker than you can probably find it. It's still a good thing to do. But are you hiding God's word in your heart? Let's see how it works. Ready? Let's use this verse right here. Let's work it through. We're going to talk about the four questions. I know this is kind of a a study in Bible study, a weird way to end a sermon, but it's important. Okay. Let every detail of your lives, word, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. The first question we ask is, what did it say? So tell me, what was he saying to that first century as he wrote this? You get to talk back now. What? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty simple, isn't it? Don't separate your secular life from your religious life. Your whole life is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, now what would be the message for the 21st century? Same thing. Very good. Excellent. This one didn't change, did it? And yet, it's very interesting because we have a tendency to do that, which brings us to the third question, which was, Father, what do you want me to do about it? Oh. Father, have I been separating my life? The word, by the way, you'll love it bifurcation. Isn't that a great word? Have I bifurcated my life, Lord? Say that sometimes. He says, what? It means, did I split my life into two things, my secular world and my religious world? What do you want me to do, Father? And then you work hard at memorizing. Let every detail with me now. Let every detail in your lives, word, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master. Let's just start right up there, okay? The very first line, don't look, look right here, what's the very first line? It says, let every detail of your life, okay, let every, let's just start right there, ready? One more time. Let every detail of your life, put that right there. We have time for one more, ready? This one will be tough. Here we go. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I'm pretty brave to handle this verse for you. I just have to tell you, I'm impressed with what I'm doing here. I don't know if you are. Okay, so what was he saying? What was he saying? What do you think was going on? What's he saying? Okay, be appropriate. Specifically to that group at that time, Women were using their Christian freedom to kind of just change their dress code and to dress like other people, and it was offending some. And what he's really saying is be appropriate, and what else? Make sure that the real beauty is where? Okay. What's he saying today? Today. Oh, man, let's pull back just a little bit here and say, do you really believe that God is only saying this to women? How many of you believe that this only applies to women? Put your hand on no, Don't put your hand up. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> Let me tell you what he's saying today. 
everybody needs to know that we should dress appropriately, but more importantly, we should what? We should be known for what we do, for who we are, not by what we wear and not for the external. Now then, here's the next question. Father, what do you want me to do about it? Father, am I known for my possessions, for my looks, for my jewelry? Because men wear jewelry today now. Or am I known for what I do? Do I shine in this world because of an external thing that people can see? Or do I shine in this world because people see something inside me that affects the people around me? What do you want me to do? That will change your life. And then I want to memorize. That's it. That's it. We could go on and on and on because we're running out of time. We've run out of time, so we're just going to finish up real quickly with this. I want you to understand when we're talking about the Word of God and how it transforms us, to do this right, you're going to have to take two things. First of all, is a class. I'm not kidding. Don't kid yourself for a moment thinking that simply because you accept Jesus Christ, suddenly now you know how to interpret this book and read this book. This book will bring you life. It's wonderful, but you better know... I've had the privilege of going to school for many, many years, sitting under the feet of some of the best professors out there, just to learn how to read this book. One of the benefits that the church has is you get to hire people like me who've had the opportunity to go and, be, and come back and share that. And we have other individuals. George Copeland just taught a class last week on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. We want to teach you how to do that. We want to teach you how to read it, how to do all the things we just showed you. Sometimes we'll do it in a class. And by the way, we've got classes coming up. But if you want a private class, you just can't wait. There's coffee out there and there. Lots and lots of it. Call me. Matt would love to have a cup of coffee with you and teach you how to read the Word. I would love to have a cup of coffee. I'll buy the coffee and teach you how to read the Word. But then there's a second thing, and we're done. It's going to take time. I love you all, and I know that many of you are working hard and reading the Bible, but could I tell you that some of you are making a big mistake? You're reading the Bible way too fast. You have um, bought into that, you know, I read the Bible every four months. Oh, good. What did it say? Well, I don't know. I just read the Bible. I had a friend one time who said, man, I'm, I'm reading, but it's just not affecting me. And, I, and he told me that he was really rushing through it. I said, you know, it's, it's like you came up to Yellowstone National Park and you said, I'm going to drive through Yellowstone National Park. Let me see how fast I can do that. Oh, hey, two hours. Great. What'd you see? Well, not much. Maybe, maybe, maybe now. Reading it quickly isn't why it's there. Maybe. Maybe if you slowed it down and you took a verse or two or three or a paragraph or two or three at a time, and as you were reading, you said, what is it saying? What is it saying? 
what do you want me to do and put it here? It would take you longer to go through it. But you'd be a different person when you got to the other side. We're going to move into our sailor time. A time where we just want you to think about it. And it may be that this is the day you're going to make a commitment to to be more faithful in reading the Bible. Maybe this is the day you're going to make that commitment to not just be more faithful, but to take it a little slower. And maybe this is the day you're going to make the commitment to say, when I read it, I'm going to ask, what does he say? What is he saying? What do you want me to do? And put it right in here. On our sailor time, it just means think about it. So we have Jack DeMarco, who is a great man of prayer, and Matt is going to come over and and join him in prayer. I think Caleb is the one who's going to be working with our youth today, so the youth of the church are able to go and meet with Caleb. And we have the communion elements, which are open to anybody, whether you're a first-time visitor or not. If you want to receive the elements, come forward. And we're going to listen to a great song, Amy Grant singing, guess what? My word. Take a few minutes just to hear from the Lord, and we'll close the service.